Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back with another exciting week filled with wrestling action. Yes, that is right. It was a week of uh, a lot of different news stories, more so than we're used to dealing with. Uh, a lot of good highlights and some great wrestling action on NXT and AEW. So, what I want you guys to do, like always, is go ahead and crack open your favorite frosty beverage, strap in, buckle your seatbelts, and get ready for an episode to remember as we are here to go right into our quick hits. Starting off this week, ladies and gentlemen, we will go ahead and get into a fan ejected from live event for throwing a drink at Scarlett Bardot. And also a fan has been harassing Kayla Braxton with phone calls, text messages, and FaceTimes as someone leaked out her phone number. Now, one, I do not condone violence against women. And two, I do not condone harassment of any kind as it pertains to anyone in this world, whether they be man, woman, or child. But when you look at someone who's a public figure, and yes, these are regular, these are wrestlers, and they are not just regular people. They do not deserve this harassment. They do not deserve people going above and beyond to try to hurt them. A fan throwing a soda or any kind of drink at a wrestler, whether it be man or woman, might have been the norm in the 80s and 90s and the 70s. Hell, wrestlers had been stabbed, had guns pulled on them, pulled into the uh, uh, you know the crowd and beaten up by fans or had to beat up fans to get out of the crowd. That was the norm back then. But in the world that we live in now, fans do not need to touch these wrestlers, especially when we have seen instances where guys like CM Punk have turned around and smacked fans or punched them because he didn't know if they were trying to attack them. <clears throat> guys running into the ring during the Hall of Fame to attack Bret Hart. Guys trying to get at Roman Reigns. It's ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. So for someone to throw a soft drink at Scarlett Bardot, while she's outside of the ring, is utterly insane. I don't care if the report said it was an elderly woman and then her whole family was ejected, or if it was a grown-ass man or anyone, unless it was a innocent child who did it because they didn't know any better, you shouldn't be doing that type of thing. Especially if you're an elderly person <laughs> at that. If you're somebody in their 60s and 70s and you can't tell that that person is, not, is just merely playing a part and not really being that way, shame on you. Do you also go to people who are in soap operas and try to kill them because they tried to hurt your favorite character on the show? Are you trying to get at, uh, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal for being the Joker? It's ridiculous. It, it's absolutely insane. But then more so for a fan to be calling and trying to get at Kayla Braxton because her phone number was leaked and leaving her crude messages, trying to FaceTime her, phone calls all hours of the night. I mean, the video that this young woman put up was devastating because she said that, you know, she hadn't slept for days because she didn't know, well, if this person got her phone number, could she have possibly, you know, could they be have her address and possibly come to attack her? You know, she's in the midst of moving. It's ridiculous. 
it's absolutely ludicrous to think that fans are going again this above and beyond to try to get at wrestlers and the personalities that are involved in wrestling. We should have learned from Sonya Deville when there was a damn guy, you know, staked out in her home when she came home unexpectedly and there was this stranger sitting in her home. You know what I mean? We, it's, it's happened before and I'm more than sure it's going to happen again. But that does not make it right, ladies and gentlemen, and it should not be happening at all. Number two, Jeff Hardy pulled over and reported to be in a drunken stupor when pulled over by the authorities uh, this past week. Now, Jeff Hardy has had his bouts and his demons, uh, both with alcohol and drug abuse. And look, I feel for this guy. I know I went on a tirade a week or two ago saying that the Hardy Boys should not be, you know, back in the WWE and people shouldn't be calling for them to return and be in the Hall of Fame this quickly and whatever. That's true. But Jeff deserves to once again finally get free and clear of his demons. He did it for such a long time. I don't know what has made him go back and get back involved in alcohol and drug abuse. But whatever the case may be, I hope that Jeff gets the help that he deserves. I hope that he can finally get himself clean and sober and remain that way. And I kind of hope that he steps away from the ring. And here's why. It seems to me that whenever Jeff Hardy steps back into the ring, he does get injured. And when he gets injured, of course, anybody who feels a monstrous amount of pain is going to require either a pain pill or some sort of narcotic to numb that pain. If he cannot get those kind of pills, then he is looking for something in the way of alcohol to, again, numb that pain and get rid of whatever it is he's got in his mind and just move on from it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that Jeff Hardy can step away from the ring gracefully in a few years, be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and finally leave a legacy that he deserves rather than a legacy that is going to make people think, well, yeah, he was a great world heavyweight champion when he wasn't drugged out. He was a great wrestler and, and interacted with his fans when he wasn't falling down drunk. I don't want that. You know, I'm happy that guys like Scott Hall, may he rest in peace, got clean and sober before he passed away. I'm happy that someone like Jake Roberts is reportedly clean and sober and now doing better health-wise and getting better as time moves on. I'm happy that Buff Bagwell has gotten clean and sober and is moving on. I don't want to hear a tragedy that relates to Jeff Hardy. I don't want to hear a tragedy that relates to his brother or anyone who is only in their 40s because of wrestling to once again die. So I wish Jeff Hardy the absolute best in getting clean and sober. Number three, Kevin Owens injured Sunday night at a house show. MCL tear is what is reported and could miss anywhere from four to six weeks or longer. But in an update as of Thursday morning, Kevin Owens is not as badly injured and will still be at Survivor Series. This is great news. I was very worried about Kevin because he was finally going to be returning after about a one-month absence of being on TV. Uh, and I, I wanted to see him once again in the ring, whether it be it's an, an, on a Survivor Series team or just making a guest spot or whatever have you. So to hear that it was not as bad of an injury as we thought it was, thank God. You know what I mean? Uh, Je Kevin is... Definitely one of the bright spots in the WWE roster. He is always doing his best to uh, amp up the crowd and get them going, and he gets a great pop. So I'm happy to hear that he's going to be uh, around, and this injury is not going to be anything that severe. Number four, 
constant reports about Chelsea Green and Matt Cordona coming back to the WWE. These reports are going back as long as two weeks after Triple H took over power in the WWE. Now, I don't know if these are Cardona and Chelsea reporting these things to dirt sheets and hoping to get the WWE's eye on them again. Triple H did do a interview where he said that he would be willing to talk to Cardona and Green and possibly bring them back if something could be reached. But he also mentioned wanting to bring back the Zack Ryder character and not allow Matt to be his normal name and normal self, Matt Cordona, which he's done a great job of making a name for himself the last couple of years on the independent scene. He's won titles in Impact. He's won titles in uh, NWA. He's a former world champion in the NWA. So, of course, he'd want to return with his real name. But that remains to be seen. And, again, there have been constant reports that they are on the radar of WWE, that talks have happened, that they're almost eminently ready to return. But then there's also been reports that say, nah, they're not coming back. Triple H hasn't even talked to them yet. So, again, I don't know where these are coming from or who is laying these out to the dirt sheets. But whatever the case may be, Hey, I'd like to see Chelsea Green back if she could remain healthy because the poor girl constantly gets injured. And I'd like to see Matt Cordona back, even though I have my issues with him of real life meetings with the guy when he was an asshole to me. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> in any case, I would like to see them both back because I think they could both do great in the WWE again. But it all remains to be seen. And finally, number five, Andrade Sinamas is suspended by AEW, and this is going back to his backstage altercation with Sammy Guevara. Now, it is no secret that Andrade wants out of his AEW contract, and that could be so he could return back to the WWE to wrestle for Triple H and be with his lovely wife, Charlotte Flair. But apparently, Tony Khan not wanting to give that release, as we've seen, has been the norm with Tony not allowing certain wrestlers to leave when their contracts have come up. Uh, he has decided to suspend Andrade. The problem I have with this, ladies and gentlemen, is that there were two people involved in this backstage altercation, Sammy Guevara and Andrade Sinomas. Um, guys, you can't keep doing this, Tony. You can't fire one or suspend one and let the other one just go about doing what they're doing. Now, I know that after the media scrum with Punk and the Elite, he suspended all four, and Punk is now hanging by a thread. We don't know what's going on with him. But he has still allowed all four of them to still be somewhat of a force in the company, such as with merchandise and being featured on television in vignettes and promos. And the Elite is set to... Well, I won't get too much into it, but apparently they are set to return at full gear. Well, now with Sammy and with Andrade, hey, if these guys got into a damn fist fight, you should have suspended both. I understand that Sammy is Chris Jericho's little buddy, but you can't play favoritisms like this, Tony. It's ridiculous. It's bad business. And it's making you look like, as we always say, a child who got a new toy and throws in the old one in a box and starts playing with the new one. I understand you enjoy playing with Sammy, but you can't throw away Andrade like that unless you're going to give the damn guy his release or possibly let him come back and finish out the duration of his contract. That's all I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. With that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into the highlight reel.
And our first highlight reel comes to us from the NWA. Hard Times 3 was live on Fight TV and Pay-Per-View this past Saturday. And the number one highlight comes to us from the women's division. And it is Max the Impaler taking on uh, Marley Markova in a casket match. Those two women tore the house down and had a damn frightening-looking match. And I mean that as a compliment, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, I didn't, I've never seen a woman's casket match before. That was the first time for me. And I think both women did fantastic. Number two, uh, Kerry, uh, excuse me, Davey Richards taking on Colby Carino for the MLW uh, Middleweight Championship. Great wrestling match between those two. Colby is slowly but surely starting to round out like his father, Steve Carino, did. And um, fantastic work by Davey Richards. Uh, Davey did, in, in fact, um, retain his title and uh i'm happy to see that mlw's and nwa's relationship is going to continue carrie morton taking on homicide for the juniors title (coughs) (coughs) excuse me (coughs) was a great outing but i will say this carrie morton has to be uh the only junior heavyweight in the NWA because this is his fourth title shot at Homicide. The only other person who has challenged Homicide besides Kerry has been his dad, Ricky Morton. But Kerry did it actually win the title, and I hope that they bring some other junior heavyweights in to wrestle him, and we see a, uh, a better division. But it was still a good match. La Rebellion taking on Luke and PJ Hawks for the tag team titles. Uh, the, the Hawks finally got the job done and won the gold which uh, bravo to them. Uh, great tag team matchup, very old school looking, very, you know, definitely tandem tag team action going on there. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And then finally the main event, and it was uh, Trevor Murdoch taking on Tyrus, taking on Matt Cardona for the NWA title. I thought Trevor might actually retain here, but uh, Tyrus went over. And I know that was not something that the fans really liked seeing because they felt that Tyrus should not have been given a title like that easy, that easily. But Tyrus is actually a great wrestler. He does a good job as a big man. Trevor has had his run as the champion. And if if Matt Cordona is on his way to the WWE, obviously he cannot hold the NWA title. But it was a great three-way dance, in my opinion, between all involved. Moving over to Monday Night Raw. Number one, Seth Rollins opening promo, leading into Bobby Lashley versus uh, Mustafa Ali. Seth Rollins is slowly becoming the best thing on Raw. Uh, his promos have been fantastic, and his matches have been even better. Uh, and Ali and Lashley, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but they have such great chemistry together from a big man to a small man perspective. And Lashley rips through him with the spear every time they're in the ring with each other. Matt Riddle versus uh, Chad Gable is the number two spot for the highlights on Raw. What a great wrestling match. Both guys did a fantastic job. Number three, Austin Theory's promo and match with Dolph Ziggler. Theory definitely explained why he lost the briefcase. He explained it well, why he cashed in on Seth Rollins, I should say, and that him losing it, well, no big deal, because he plans on being the absolute next in line for any title in the WWE, and uh, that he is the now uh, in the WWE. Uh, Backstage poker segment with... um, Happy Corbin, JBL, and um, Akira Tozawa was hysterical and made me think uh, back to the Attitude Era. And finally, the uh, main event of uh, Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. 
fantastic matchup. Balor and Rollins have incredible chemistry. Uh, they go back and forth so well, and I just I, I want them. You know that chant fight forever. That's uh, exactly what I want from both of them. Moving over to SmackDown now, Brawling Brutes and uh, McIntyre and Sami Zayn's opening promo. Great, hysterical, fun for the crowd. Zayn gets the crowd going whenever he comes out, and giving us a bit of mystery as to who the fifth member of the Brawling Brutes McIntyre team will be. Number two, Ricochet and Ali going one on one in the SmackDown World Cup. Two high flyers that just exploded, and even though Ali was injured from his match with Lashley uh, on Monday night, they they went above and beyond. Number three, Bray Wyatt and LA Knight segment with uh, LA Knight smacking Bray Wyatt twice, and then the, the screen flickering on us seeing Uncle Howdy. Can't wait to see where that goes, but then later on the night, uh, as uh, LA Knight was leaving the arena, we saw the other mask that belongs to Bray Wyatt, and then L.A. Knight was left laying with a bunch of crap laying all over him. Number four, Pete Dunne and Sami Zayn from the World Cup. Wow. Great contrast of styles with the fighter of uh, Pete Dunne and the uh, quickness of Sami Zayn. Uh, Dunne ends up going over and will be in the World Cup a little longer, as did Ricochet go over uh, Ali earlier. And finally, number five, the bloodline and the Brawling Brutes fight with Kevin Owens becoming the fifth member of the Brutes team Four war games. That's right. Kevin Owens came out to an explosive pop. Unbelievable pop between that for that man from the crowd. He took out Roman Reigns with a stunner. It kind of gave me Rock Austin vibes. I liked it. I enjoyed it very much. Keep it up, WWE. And then finally, I don't always include them, but I'm going to include them tonight. AEW Rampage. Because I wanted to watch the main event, but I ended up watching the whole show. And Hook versus Lee Moriarty for the... Uh, FTW Championship, great matchup. 12 minutes of two guys just beating the hell out of each other. Moriarty changing his style up to try to fight, fight uh, Hook two to nail, but then Hook coming out and beating him when it, all the chips were down, great matchup. Hook deserves a better push than he's getting. And number two, Eddie Kingston and um, Ortiz taking on Takeshita and uh, Akiyama from DDT Pro. I have only seen Akiyama fight one other time before this, and it was a brutal matchup about 15 years ago on a uh, DVD that I got. And now seeing him on AEW, I thought, well, this guy's going to be much older, and it's 30 years after his debut. But man, can he still go? And he and Kingston lit each other up. Akiyama and Takashita got them the win, and just, it, wow, what a main event. They gave them time. They gave them a full 15 minutes to go at it. I enjoyed it immensely, ladies and gentlemen. So, with that being said, no reason to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into our next part of the show, which is our show review. And we are starting off with NXT. And NXT, our show kicks off with Von Wagner making his way to the ring. And the NXT title match will be our opening bout. Breaker versus Wagner. Vaughn used Robert Stone and threw him at Breaker to get an early advantage. Wagner beat down on the champion and kept his momentum from the early going. Breaker finally made a comeback but was bruised and couldn't hold on long. Wagner looked like he was going for his finisher, but Braun wiggled out and hit a top rope bulldog. Breaker went for his power slam, but Wagner fought out of it and they went back and forth again. 
Braun finally caught Von Wagner with a huge spear and picked up the win at 14 minutes. Minutes, Your winner and still champion, Braun Breaker. Incredible opening matchup here. A vignette for the history of Alba Fire and Mandy Rose is shown, and we get to the live look at Zoe Starks entering the NXT arena. Braun Breaker is recovering backstage, and J.D. McDow walks up. He congratulated the champion and let him know that he's coming for his title. Zoe Starks then addresses the NXT audience and lets them know she's happy to be done with Nikita Lyons. She tells the story of how they became a team and how Nikita made her feel weak because of the injury that took them out of the women's tag team title matchup. She got tired of Nikita and all the screw-ups, and that's why she took her out last week. She calls Lyons a leech and says she's done being mad. She blames the fans, and now it's about her. She's the future, and she's undeniable. Good promo. Let's hope they push her the right way, though, ladies and gentlemen. Andre Chase then questions Duke Hudson about throwing in the towel last week in his matchup. Hudson says he was protecting Andre and didn't want Chase Hugh to go down if Andre got hurt. Thea interrupted and Duke leaves. Storyline seems to be getting weirder as time goes on. Apollo Crews then approaches Braun Breaker and tells him he came back to NXT for the NXT title. He knows Braun is sore, but now that his one challenger has ended, a new one is about to begin. Sangha and Veer took on enhancement talent. I mean, we never learned these guys' names, and Veer and Sangha swallowed them up. They destroyed their opponents with double teams' moves and got the win in three minutes. Post-match, Sangha and Veer cut a promo about respect and says that they aren't respected, but they will be feared. This is how you build a tag team. The Creeds are approached by Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley. Ivy tells them to not feed into what Veer and Sangha are trying to do, but the Creeds let Ivy know that they can't let this go unanswered. This feud could be huge for both teams, and I'm here for it, ladies and gentlemen. I want to see two powerhouse tag teams going at it. Mackenzie is with Wendy Chu and asks her about Cora Jade. Wendy says Cora is a bratty child, but it doesn't matter. She may be wacky, but she's going to prove how serious she can be when she gives Cora two black eyes. They show a replay of McDow bending back the leg of Axiom in their matchup a couple of weeks ago and talk about how deadly he is in the ring. McDow then takes on Apollo Crews, an absolute classic here by these two guys and probably one of my favorite matches this year. McDow's worked over Crew with uh, everything he had, but Apollo kept fighting back. We saw JD go to the air and the ground while trying to throw his opponent off. Cruz, however, went after JD like a freight train and continued the battle. McDowell missed a splash, and Apollo turned it around one more time. Cruz hit his finisher and picked up the win in 15 minutes. Another banger of a match tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Great way for NXT to keep going with this week's episode. Post-match, Braun Breaker came out in the aisle. He and Cruz tell trash. Uh, this should be a great match when these two finally meet. I'm assuming it's going to be at uh, deadline. But you never can tell when NXT. It might be next week on the show. Mackenzie is with Mandy Rose, and the NXT Women's Champion said she's still having to prove herself. She's tired of hearing she can't wrestle and was just a pretty face. She silenced the haters and will rid herself of Alba Fire later on this evening. Mackenzie is now with Javier Burnell, and he says he's ready to make the challenges here instead of being challenged by just anybody. He challenged Axiom, but Mackenzie says he's hurt. He then says, what about Ilya Dragunov? And he's not medically cleared either. He mentions Gallus, but they're suspended. He blames McKenzie and then walks off. What a waste of time. 
Booker T is in the ring and ready for contract signing between Wesley and Carmelo Hayes for the North American title. Booker asks Carmelo if he's capable of becoming a three-time North American champion. Carmelo says yes. He has been the champion and will always be the champion, and the 15 minutes of fame for Wesley is almost over. Trick interrupts, and Booker T turns to Wesley. He says that he's just playing the hand that he's dealt, and he's ready to show the world that he is the real deal. Both men sign the contract, and Booker says he's ready. They get vocal and make a threat, but Booker steps in and says they can wait until next week. Now, I personally would like to see them go at it, but I like Booker stepping in and kind of mediating, and I cannot wait for these two to go one-on-one for that belt next week. Dominic Dijakovic gets another vignette, and he guarantees hard justice is on its way. I didn't know that TNA pay-per-views were coming to NXT, but we'll have to wait and see. Odyssey Jones is with Blade and Enoff. They're about to go party, but first he wants to know about Blade's sweater vest. What's with all the bad backstage segments? Who's producing this shit? Briggs and Jensen then take on the dyad. This was a big old mess, and I thought it was going to be actually good, but I was wrong. The biggest highlight was Jensen throwing uh, one of the dyad into the ropes from the outside and then hitting a monstrous-looking clothesline. But during the match, Keanu James came out and argued with Fallon about buying her bar because that's important. The distraction allowed the dyad to pick up the win and get a quick one, two, three in three minutes on Briggs because Jensen was busy with the girls outside. Shawn Michaels makes his announcement about NXT Deadline. A new match called the Iron Survivor Match will be held with five superstars in a 25-minute match. He goes over all the rules, and it does seem a little complicated and confusing, but here goes, ladies and gentlemen. Two superstars enter. Every five minutes, a new superstar will come out and join the match until all five are in the ring. If a superstar gets a pinfall, they get one point. The superstar who loses the pinfall goes into a 90-second penalty box, sort of like the King of the Mountain match over in TNA. The person with the most points is the winner when the time limit is over. It sounds interesting, but confusing as hell. And I don't know. I think we could have gotten this just just as easy as a five-minute scramble match. There'll be two separate matches, one for men and one for women. And, of course, the winners will be the number one contenders to their respected titles. We then go back to the ring for Indy Hartwell taking on Tatum Paxley. The lights flicker during the match, and then both women went at it. Paxley looked good in this outing and held Indy down, but Hartwell came back. Indy hit her finisher out of nowhere and got the win in three minutes. What seems to be the final message from Scripps is aired, and a voice talks about getting by security and moving so fast you will miss him. Next week, Scripps will apparently debut and play a game. I can't wait to see who this is because it's been greatly booked, but I'm really hoping it's somebody new and not just somebody coming back. But even if it is, I hope that it's the right character for whoever it is they're bringing in. Roxanne Perez again tried to talk to Indy Hartwell, but she's not having it. Roxanne questions Indy's integrity, but Hartwell says she will do whatever it takes to get into the Iron Survivor match at deadline. And finally, it's time for our main event, the last women's standing match for the NXT women's title, Alba Fire challenging Mandy Rose. Mandy tried to run, but Alba caught her, and the fight was on. Both went for their finishes early on, but both countered each other. Alba finally got the advantage and was letting, uh, wasn't letting anything get between her and Rose, and she just kept trying to keep Rose down. Rose kept popping back up. <coughs> Excuse me once again. Rose fought back, 
but Fire wasn't giving up and kept pushing the champion, and it looked like she had the match won. <coughs> she laid Mandy out on the announce table and climbed the ladder, but Isla Dawn from NXT UK came up from out of nowhere and attacked Alba. Dawn sent Fire through the table, and Mandy Rose watched as the referee counted to 10 to get the win in 14 minutes. Your winner and still NXT Women's Champion, Mandy Rose. Very enjoyable main event here. And kind of surprising seeing Isla Dawn as we haven't seen her in months since NXT UK closed down. But I guess, once again, make new stars. Giving NXT a 4.5 out of 5 this week, and it's based on a lot of that went down. The in-ring action being one, new stars arriving and being made, and both big in-ring promos. The new match type explained by HBK was interesting as well, and for that, it was a fantastic episode. So, NXT gets off to a great start tonight. Let's go ahead and see what AEW Dynamite has to offer, ladies and gentlemen. And AEW Dynamite this week's show kicks off with Excalibur running down tonight's show. And again, it looks like a stacked card. The Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, make their way to the ring for our opening matchup. And it's Jericho and Guevara taking on Brian Danielson and Claudio. All four men begin brawling to start this one off, and Claudio and Danielson get the upper hand. Guevara showed off some of that innovative offense and defense. Jericho caught Claudio off guard and wailed on his opponent in the middle of the ring. Claudio and Brian finally got the advantage and pummeled the JSA with elbows to wear them down. Claudio pulled off another shocker and forced Jericho to tap out to the sharpshooter and get the win in 18 minutes. Another phenomenal opening match. A vignette from Moxley and MJF is shown, with JR giving his thoughts about both champion and challenger. A Darby Allen vignette is played, and it features the return of Sting. I know I should be happy, but it makes, you know, that it's, it basically makes it that it's going to be Darby Allen and Sting taking on Jared and Lethal. And to me, that's not good. I, I got to be honest with you guys. Dutt Lethal and Jared cut a promo about full gear and say it will be the end of Sting. How many times are we always going to lead to Sting versus Jared? It happened in WCW, it happened in TNA, and now it's happening in AEW. Talk about the feud that won't go away. The Acclaim make their way to the ring and premiere their new music video. It begins with Paul White bringing back his Captain and Say No character from Waterboy and a parody of Keith Lee and Swerve Scott. I like the Acclaim and I'm glad that they got over, but this music video was not needed in any way, shape, or form. <coughs> Swerve Strickland then took on Anthony Bowens and this was just a fight as both guys fought outside of the ring more than they did inside. Bowens had the advantage early on and had Swerve reeling. It looked like Bowens would put it away early, but Sneaky Swerve went full heel and took over. Strickland injured the arm of Bowens, hit his finisher, and picked up the win in 10 minutes. Great chemistry between these two guys. Can't wait for the tag match at full gear. Uh, we get a look at the history between Nyla Rose and Jade Cargill. As interesting as this feud has been, you got a feeling it's going to be a car crash at full gear, and both women might come away a little bit beat up, more so than they should be. Tony Schiavone interviews Samoa Joe inside the ring, excuse me, and wants to discuss his shocking turn on Wardlow. Joe says it's not a shock because Joe was tired of hearing Wardlow bypass him and attack like the biggest thing and act like he's not the biggest thing in AEW. 
Powerhouse Hobbs interrupts and tells Joe he's too late, and Hobbs has been taking Wardlow out for the last couple of weeks. Wardlow makes his entrance from the crowd, and all three brawl until the locker room pulls them apart. I think we're heading to a triple threat match, to be honest with you, and I think it's going to happen at full gear this Saturday night. I got to be honest, though, I like it. Three guys that are monsters in the ring and have been getting wins over just about everybody. Why not let them go at it, right? Britt Baker cuts a promo backstage and says she respects all that Soraya has done, but Britt hasn't been handed anything. AEW is Britt's house, and she's ready for full gear. The Death Triangle then defended their trios tag team titles against Top Flight and A.R. Fox. What a high-flying extravaganza we witnessed in this one, as all six men went at it trading shots. A.R. Fox is underrated and deserves this spotlight. Glad to see Top Flight back together, and both Martins are incredible, but Death Triangle is just too good. Pop continues to grow meaner, and it showed with the way he would took down Dante and just took him absolutely apart. Phoenix and Penta are the top tag team, in my opinion, and put Fox away with their finisher to get the win in 12 minutes. Your winner, and still AEW Trios champion, Death Triangle. Great six-man tag. Uh, post-match, Pac cut a promo and says, if there is someone planning to return to AEW, they have to go through Death Triangle. A video plays on the screen and reveals that Death Triangle will defend the trio's titles against, you guessed it, the Elite. They will make their return at full gear. What a match that's going to be. And just a bit of news, AR Fox did receive an AEW contract at the ending of Dynamite this week. So congratulations to him. Again, a very underrated talent. I loved him in Lucha Underground. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in AEW. A video of what happened between Lance Archer and Ricky Starks from last week is shown. Ricky then cuts a promo about their upcoming match at Rampage this week. I like the renewed push for Starks, but Archer hasn't been used right, and this may not be the right way to use him either going into this championship eliminator tournament and whatnot and going against Ricky Starks. Two different guys, in my opinion, and probably not going to end well either. Adam Page then took on Bandito in a semi semifinals match of this Eliminator tournament, and we haven't even fished, finished the first round. Good clash of styles here between these two, but Page used his size and kept Bandito down. No matter what amount of speed Bandito tried, Page just knocked him back down and looked like we might see Bandito gain control when he countered Ethan's finisher, but Page wouldn't have it. He finally connected with the Ego's Edge and got the win in nine minutes. Congratulations, Ethan Page. A highlight package for Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus is shown with Renee talking about what has happened. Renee is then shown with Soraya backstage and asks her what's going through her mind, it being her first match back this Saturday. Soraya says the same thing that she's been saying, and she's ready for full gear. A vignette for Kingston and Ortiz taking on Akiyama and Takashita this Friday on Rampage. I already talked about it. It was a hard-hitting classic. I enjoyed it very much. Great matchup by all. Anna Jade then replaced the Bunny as she took on Tony Storm in a championship eliminator match or number one contenders match, as it actually should be called. And this was nothing special, and it was mainly due to Tony Storm. Anna Jade tried her best, but there was no chemistry, and Storm, as usual, was sloppy. The fight on the outside looked rushed and was way too soft, although I was worried that Anna was going to get hurt. Storm got the win in seven minutes, and maybe the quicker the better here, but it was just terrible. Post-match, Jamie Hayter came out and got in Storm's face. I'm hoping Hayter becomes champion at full gear because Storm as champion has been terrible, and all she ever does 
on social media is bitch that Thunder Rosa shouldn't be champion anymore. Well, maybe they're worried that you're not the greatest champion they've ever had, and they have to worry that if Rosa comes back and you're still champion, uh, the best way to unify those titles. They don't want another Punk Moxley situation on their hands. We get a rundown for Rampage and Full Gear, and both shows look great. Question, though, how many title shots does Lee Moriarty get? Guy's been getting pushed like crazy, and I get it. He deserves it, but it's not that great to see. I mean, he's had a match with Moxley that could have got him a world title shot if he would have won. Then he challenged for the All-Atlantic title. Now he's challenging Hook for the made-up FTW title. I mean, I get it. He's great, like I said, but this is too much too soon, in my opinion. John Moxley then comes out with William Regal to cut a promo about his matchup with MJF, and it was decent. Moxley rambled on about loving to fight and being sick and how MJF didn't earn his shot. The firm hit the ring and take Moxley out, and Regal actually, beating down both of them. And I'm wondering where Claudio and Danielson are. They were there earlier tonight. Why aren't they coming out to help the, you know, their buddies? MJF comes out and said, makes the save. He did this to ensure that no one says he beat Moxley at not 100%. MJF then cuts a great promo about his history in the business and what he expects at full gear. He's about to deliver his catchphrase, but Mox stops him and says he doesn't see what the big deal about MJF is, but he's going to pull the absolute best out of him at full gear. He flubs when the pay-per-view is saying Saturday, Sunday instead of Saturday, and they go face-to-face -face to end the show. I thought AEW was good, but I liked NXT more this week, giving Dynamite 4 out of 5, because yes, the wrestling was good, but it was the same promos from Baker, Soraya, and Moxley, and others. I would like to see some growth here when they're cutting a promo, not just saying the same damn things, but it was still a good show. So, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into Nate Maxson's favorite segment, and that is, of course, and that would be Dave Meltzer and his biased reporting. What do I mean by that? Well, if you are someone who reads the Wrestling Observer <coughs> or someone who's ever listened to Dave Meltzer's podcast, you will know that he is very biased. He is biased to Japanese wrestling. He is biased to New Japan. And he is damn sure biased to AEW. Everything he says about AEW is a glowing, unbelievable review. Unless he's shitting now on CM Punk, who he was raving about a few months ago. But just recently, David Meltzer said that every week, now that's including Rampage, uh, Dynamite, Rampage, and pay-per-views. Every week, AEW puts up a $1 million gate. A paid gate of $1 million. How is that possible, Dave? How on God's green earth could AEW pull a $1 million gate every week when they're not even charging $30 to $60 a ticket for Dynamite or Rampage? And most times Dynamite and Rampage are, are taped on the same damn night. I was trying to get full gear tickets, but I couldn't get tickets close to my buddies so we could be in the same area. And the cheapest ticket was 90 bucks. I was going to give it, but it was a nosebleed. And I said, well, I'm not going to be anywhere near anybody I know. I'm going to be one man alone. 
and 90 bucks is a bit much, but the show is not sold out. Dynamite is never sold out based by the pictures that they show from the non-hard cam side. So how are they pulling out a $1 million gate every week? If there's only, at the most, 4,000 people in an arena, does he realize how that everybody would have to be paying upwards of a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a ticket and even then that wouldn't even come close to it that to a million dollars or is his head so far up tony khan's ass that he can possibly smell the cocaine that we all think that tony khan is doing it's ridiculous to make a claim like that no one is pulling up a one million dollar gate these days unless it's wrestlemania or wrestle kingdom or all out it's ridiculous to even talk about something like that it is a bad claim. It's just like Tony Khan saying, oh, we do a, a million viewers every week during the 8.45 to 9 p.m. episode of Dynamite that we have in between, and we have the 18 to 35 uh, demographic lockdown. Okay, but what sense does that make if the whole rest of the show is doing 400,000 viewers? You can't make claims like that if you can't back them up. Show me the attendance records then. Show me that you had $1 million paid in attendance. Or show me that that is at least attendance plus merchandise. And that it's for both Dynamite and Rampage plus the the merchandise. And then I'll say, okay, you're right. It's $1 million a week. No big deal. Now, I'm not saying that Dynamite and Rampage is not making AEW money. And I'm not saying that AEW is losing any money. No. What I'm saying is, is that Dave Meltzer is attempting to boost this company more than he needs to. Because he doesn't do it for any other company in the world. And unless he's on the payroll, it serves him no purpose to be doing this. This is the same guy that during the Attitude Era was criticizing guys like Austin and Rock. This is the same guy that during the WCW was, was starting to fold under and sink faster than anything. Started saying that it was all Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff's fault. Now, as much as I agree with that, what I don't agree with, it's not all their fault. It's the wrestlers who were being paid hand over fist. It's the guys who were not putting in their true wrestling ability. And it's the, all the guys who had creative controls pro fault and problem. But Dave Meltzer will just have you believe it was just those two guys in their booking. Dave Meltzer will have you believe that Kenny Omega and Okada in Japan at Wrestle Kingdom at the Tokyo Dome was the greatest fucking match ever. I'm sorry, it's not. Was it a great matchup? Yes. Was it over an hour? Yes. But you want to see better matches? See Flair versus Steamboat for over an hour. See Macho Man versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3. Okay? See Austin versus Bret Hart. Okay? See Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in an Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. <coughs> I love Japanese wrestling. I have been a wrestling fan of New Japan and other Japanese wrestling, Mexican wrestling, wrestling in the UK. You name it. I watch it all, ladies and gentlemen. This show should show you that when I tell you tidbits about all of these companies. And although this may be my opinion, and my opinion only, Dave Meltzer is nothing but an ass kisser and jumps on the bandwagon that is anybody but WWE so that he could hopefully garner more attention he is no better than vince russo he is no better than eric bischoff he's no better than an actual writer for a real newspaper 
An actual journalist always will turn things around to make them sound better for himself in an effort to be get the attention that they want, whether it be good or bad. Because what's the saying? No publicity is bad publicity. Well, when you're being called an asshole, it's pretty damn bad. So, Dave Meltzer, in the words of someone that I truly do respect, Jim Cornette, thank you, fuck you, goodbye. That's going to do it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Before I go, I do have a couple of announcements. Next week's show, I will review AEW Full Gear, and I will talk about the card for WWE Survivor Series. So look out for next week's episode, probably around Friday of next week, because of being Thanksgiving. <coughs> so I'll be reviewing AEW and talking about Survivor Series, giving some predictions. I may have some guests with me, a couple of buddies of mine, and we will also, if all goes well during that recording with my buddies, may have an announcement for you guys in regards to the podcast world. Uh, so that's what's coming up next week. And I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. And of course, I'll see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.